welcome to you, University Baptist Church. Please stand and sing. Yeah. 
Love it. Sounded good, don't they? Awesome. Thank you guys so much for, for leading us in worship. You all can be seated. Let me welcome you to University Baptist Church. Obviously, we have the youth leading us today. Is this working? No? How about this one? Is this working? Anything. There we go. We'll go with this for right now, and then I'll figure out my mic in a second. We good? Okay. We're good now. We're good. Okay. Welcome to University Baptist. Hey, how about another hand for the youth leading us this morning in worship? It's going to be a great day. Anytime you start off the, the worship service with that sort of energy and that enthusiasm, God's going to be glorified. So thank you guys for leading us today. We're excited to be a part of this together. Hey, let me welcome you, all of you, whether you're a longtime member or you're a first-time guest, we're glad that you're here this morning. And uh, what we always like to make sure is that if you are visiting with us for the first time, if you have this worship guide, you can take the moment to just look through it, see some great opportunities that are involved, that you could be involved in here at the church. But we would love for you to take that right-hand portion and go ahead and fill it out so that we have some basic information on how we can get in touch with you and answer any questions that you may have while you visit here at University Baptist. Hey, I also want to just say a word of thank you to the ladies. Uh, if you had any participation or any help in putting together, or you went to that brunch yesterday for my wife, would you just kind of wave your hand a little bit so we can see? Thank you all so much. That was a great event. Uh, my wife came home, and she was, she was uh, overwhelmed with just uh, the, the sense of love and the support that she felt from you all. My, my mom was here, my mother-in-law, everybody just had a great experience. So thank you for your hard work in putting that together. We really appreciate it. Uh, but I'm excited today as we continue in this discussion of our key convictions and we continue to look through the focus on discipleship. And, and really today we're going to begin to figure out what is the true meaning of, of this work that has been entrusted to us and what is that going to look like. And in order for us to do that well, I, I really just want us to begin with that posture of worship that we need. And we want to celebrate. We, we want to have this enthusiasm that understands that this is a unique thing to be able to follow Christ and to worship him no matter where he leads. And so I just want to pray for us to, to capture that spirit and to capture the, the beauty of being able to follow him no matter where he leads us. So would you just bow your heads and let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you. And we do. We cry out, we cry out to you, Jesus. Uh, Father, with everything that we are, we want to dance before you. We want to jump before you. We want to shout for joy before you because we know that you are good and that you entrust these things to your church, Father, that you are looking to use us, that you are calling us into greater purposes, to greater things, and that when we commit our hands to the things that you've called us to, you are exalted, Father, that you would build your church here in our midst. And so I pray that as we sing together this morning, that it truly would be in a spirit of worship and enthusiasm, that we can see you for who you are and find the meaningful work that you've called us to do. So let us offer our whole hearts, our whole minds, our souls, our bodies to you this morning as we seek to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to continue in that spirit of worship, but as we do, why don't the children come forward and get ready to hear a word from Miss Caroline, and the rest of you can stand, say hello to each other, and we're going to worship as we prepare for this children's time. <clears throat>
week, we're going to have a chance to talk about being a disciple. Now, who remembers what the word disciple means? Does anybody know what that means? Okay. Abigail, what does it mean to be a disciple? It means um, to share God's love. It means to share God's love. Excuse me, friends. Y'all can put those right back. I have not offered those to you yet. Who else can tell me what it means to be a disciple? What, what are you going to say? Helpers of God. That's a good way to describe it. What were you going to say? Um, people that trust in God. That's exactly right. That's what I say, Davis. And then what do you have to say, Josiah? Did you have one? What's it just? Followers of God. You know what? I think you guys really have a good idea, a good grasp of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. You know what? Sometimes when we're disciples, we feel like we're in a maze. We feel like there's a whole lot of choices, and we're not sure what we're supposed to do, and we're not sure what we're supposed to not do. We don't know which way to go. But Scripture gives us a good um, wisdom, right? It tells us in Luke, it says, if anyone would come after me, right? That's what we would want to be as a disciple, right? A follower. If anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross every single day. And they have to follow me. Because whoever wants to save his life by himself out of his own good works and how awesome he thinks he is, is going to lose it. But whoever knows that if they give their life to Jesus and follow his way every single day and they choose to follow him, they will save it. You know, we have for you guys a pen and it's got a maze in it. And you know, sometimes we feel like we're in a maze. We don't know which way we're supposed to go. But scripture tells us that if we follow after Christ, if we chase after him, then we'll be the disciple that he has called us to be. 
So my prayer is going to be for you guys that as you guys go about your week this week, you experience Valentine's Day, you experience school, you experience home, that whenever some of those decisions come, the hard ones, you'll stop and you'll think, okay, God, which one is going to glorify you? Which one is going to bring you the most honor? Because that's where we want to follow. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to follow after you. Father, help us to chase after you and to know that the maze before us that looks so scary and that looks so hard to figure out, Father, that you know the way we're to go. Help our eyes to stay on you, that we would be your disciple, and that you know the way and you love us ultimately. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
sounded wonderful. <clears throat> the word of the Lord, according to the prophet Daniel. Just listen to his words. Chapter 7. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Let's pray. Father, to behold the glory of the Son of Man, and to see the authority that you've entrusted to him so that all nations would come and worship. To see that your kingdom, Father, is a kingdom that will never perish, spoil, or fade. It is without end. And we get to be a part of that work, Father. And so let us celebrate. Let us acknowledge this authority that's been entrusted to Jesus and let us follow him at all costs, knowing that you are always with us leading us to this place of worship. We love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we started 2017 off with this understanding that our hope is, is found in the one who makes all things new. Right? He, he is stirring a new thing within all of us. And, and that's what we're seeking to discover on this journey together. We've been walking through these key convictions, hoping that these discussions will help shape the culture of we, who we want this church to be and who we want to be in our own lives. And so we've talked about the importance of being gospel-centered, biblically guided, prayer-driven, with a focus on fasting. And last week, we introduced the topic of discipleship. Now, we're going to treat discipleship a little bit differently for a couple of different reasons. As I explained last week, to me, discipleship is a very comprehensive term. Right? It's not just something that takes place on the other side of conversion. It's, it's, a, it's a word that captures the entire Christian experience. And so as a result, it, it's a little bit more comprehensive, and we need to look at it for a series of weeks as opposed to just one week. But the other reason I want us to, to look into it a little bit more in detail is because to me, it is the essence of the work of Christ. Right? I mean, yes, Jesus spoke to the masses. Yeah, he, he healed. He did miracles and signs and wonders, but at the end of the day, he took 12 and he changed the world. And his, his mode, his method, his approach was discipleship. And so we need to give it some serious thought and consideration. And so we, we want to look at it and see the importance that it carries and how it is that we function as followers of Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going we're gonna to kind of fly at the 35,000 foot view of discipleship. Right, we're going to look at it more uh, from up above to figure out what is the general philosophy and approach that we need to invoke. And my hope is that over the next few months, we will eventually have time 
probably in smaller settings, not so much on a Sunday morning, to figure out how does that begin to practically play out in our church here. But today, and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at it in more of a high level. And so here's the basic application. Right? At least let these discussions guide our prayers. Right? That what we are trying to commit ourselves to right now is to be in a church that knows how to pray. And as we pray for the power of God to be unleashed in our lives, let these conversations about what it means to be a disciple and to pursue this life of discipleship influence our prayers. So last week, we introduced the topic. And we looked at it through the lens of how it shapes our identity. When we begin to ask ourselves, well, what am I called to do? What's the meaning to my life? What, what am I doing to find significance? What we see that the scriptures clearly teach is that our identity is to be a disciple. We are one who follows Jesus. We, we've entered into this journey that he's put us upon, and as a result, we see that we're just travelers here. We're, we're not made for this world. We are not defined by an earthly father, but a heavenly father who calls us home, right? We're children of God, and we are seeking to follow him no matter where he would lead. This is our identity, to be disciples. Well, today, we're going to build on that discussion, and we're going to look at the work of discipleship. And then next week, we're going to consider the goal of discipleship. And then we'll end the month by looking at a method of discipleship. So that's the progression that we're going on through the month of February. So let's Let's consider the work of discipleship. Now, when you hear the word work, I'm sure that there are a lot of different pictures that come to mind for those of you in the congregation today, right? We're, we're at different life stages and seasons of life. For some of us, we hear the word work and we think about academics and studies. Others, we've just launched ourselves into a vocation or some sort of job. Some of us are in the midst of trying to develop and achieve all that we want in a career. And others of us are in a season of retirement and it's on the other side. So there's probably a lot of different pictures of what we think of when we consider what does it mean to work. You know, a basic definition is to execute or to put effort directed towards accomplishing some goal, right? It's, it's that word effort that we tend to resonate with, right? That, that work requires effort. Now, I will never forget my first job, okay? And I'll never forget how it came about. It was a season, I was probably about, I don't know, 15, 16 years old. And uh, my mom was in this mode where she was just hounding me every day, right? Jeremiah, you're going to work, right? You need to go find a job. You are not going to lie around here all summer, okay? You need to go do something. So I'd listen. Yes, mom, I get it. I really wouldn't do anything. You know, I just kind of kept pushing it off. And then finally, one day, I was watching TV. She, she comes and sits down next to me, and she kind of has that mom look on her face. You know the one, right? That means that if I don't listen, I may not live to see tomorrow, that kind of look. So she sits down next to me. And she says, now listen. I'm about to go on a walk. And when I get back, I want to know what you've done to find a job. I want to know where you've applied. I want to know where you're going. I want to see your plan, okay? And then she got up and left. And I was like, okay, time to do something about this. So, so I get in my car, and I, and I drive out of the neighborhood, and my one focus was how quickly can I solve this so that my mom can just leave me alone, all right? That was, that was my one motivating factor here. I didn't, I didn't stop and think about what am I good at, what would I enjoy doing? What would pay well? None of those things entered into my mind. So I'm driving out of our neighborhood. We're going down this main street, kind of looking at my options. Video store over there. There's Schlotsky's over here. Right, there's Hobby Lobby. None of these things appealing to me. And then I see it, right? Almost like a beacon from heaven, right? Just a great answer for me. We're right up ahead, off to my right, I see the restaurant Abuelos. And it was perfect for me. I love Tex-Mex, and I think, That's, that'll work. I can go work at Abuelos. So I pull in the parking lot, walk in, ask for an application, fill one out right there on the spot. And the manager's there. He comes in. He interviews me. 
And he tells me, now, because of your age, you're really only eligible to be a busboy. Is that okay with you? I didn't care. I didn't, it didn't may not matter to me. I just knew that this was going to solve the answer of not having my mom ask him anymore. So I said, sure, yeah, I can do that. And he said, okay, great. When can you start? How about Friday? Sounds good. Shook hands, walked out. Whole thing took about 10 minutes, okay? So I get back in my car, and I drive home, and I drive through the neighborhood looking for my mom who's on her walk. And so I pull up, and sure enough, she sees me. And she kind of greets me with this exacerbated frustration, right? I pull up, and I roll my window down, and she's just like, what are you doing here? I told you to go find a job. And so like any smug 16-year-old boy would, I kind of smirked at her, and I said, yeah, I know. I got one. And she just couldn't believe it, right? I mean, she's like, what do you mean you got one? You've been gone 10 minutes. I said, I know. I've got a job. Where are you going to work? Up the street at Abuelos. You're going to work at Abuelos? Yeah. What are you going to do? I'm going to be a busboy. Really? When do you start? Start on Friday. And then I got the moment I'd been looking for for so long. Silence. (laughs) She had nothing else to say, and it was beautiful. So I just looked right back at her and said, I'm going to go home and watch TV now. And I rolled up my window and drove away. It was such a sweet moment, right? And I thought, mission accomplished. Now, the problem was, and the way it came back on me, is that any time your sole motivation for finding a job is just to get your mom to quit hounding you, the chances of you finding a job that you're actually going to enjoy and find fulfilling diminishes pretty significantly. And I realized this pretty quickly in being a busboy at Abuelos. It started with the idea that I had a dress code that I had to follow, okay? I had to wear black shoes, black jeans, and a white polo shirt that needed to be tucked into my jeans at all times, okay? Not exactly the fashion statement I was going for as a 16-year-old boy. And especially a white shirt, right? When you know it's going to be yellow by the end of the summer. I mean, what genius thinks of that? Hey, I got an idea. You know those guys that got to carry out all the trash and clean all the tables? Let's make them wear white. What do you say? You know, I mean, I don't understand the thought process behind it. So I was already less enthused just getting dressed for work. And then I show up on my first day, and, and the manager pulls me in, and he takes me through a training. Yeah, you heard that right. Training to be a busboy, okay? As if it is a highly sophisticated task. So he brings me in, and he introduces me to uh, my colleague, a fellow busboy. And uh, honestly, for the sake of me, I, I can't remember his name. I really can't. So for the sake of storytelling, we'll call him Cody today. So he introduces me to Cody. And I don't know if Cody just genuinely loved bussing tables or if he just loved the idea of being able to train somebody in how to do it, but he was pretty enthusiastic, okay? So he's like, man, you put your washcloth here. It's really easy to access. Let me show you how you, you load your bus. You put your glasses in every corner. It keeps the weight evenly distributed. I once had 30 glasses in my bus tub. And he's just like going on and on. I'm like, okay. And he takes me back into the kitchen, and now he starts showing me how to load the dishwasher and empty out everything. And it's here in this moment that I have an image that is forever seared in my brain, okay? Because he's, he's unloading his bus bin, and he's putting glasses in the dishwasher, and he's emptying trash. And as he's doing it, he reaches into this dirty bus bin and just starts eating food off of everyone's... Yeah, exactly, exactly. Eating leftover food as he's unloading the bus bin. So I stop and I go, you know, Cody, I think I've got it. Thank you. And then I left, and I threw up for the next five days. I mean, it was just disgusting, okay? So my experience as a busboy at Abuelos, to say the least, was less than fulfilling, okay? It was not the most meaningful work that I've ever experienced. And sadly, that's not an uncommon experience, is it? Right? That many of us find ourselves working in a task or laboring to some endeavor that is less than fulfilling. In fact, Gallup has done the survey for about 10 to 15 years to measure how people are engaged at work. 
And engaged, what they mean is they would define it as somebody that has a certain enthusiasm for their job or, or has a certain commitment to their job. And what they saw last year was that about 32% of the American workforce considers themselves engaged in their work. That means almost 70% of Americans do not find themselves engaged in their task and in their job. It's even more dire worldwide. Worldwide, it's 13% find themselves engaged in their work. That's unfortunate, isn't it? That, that that many people would spend that kind of energy and that kind of effort in all these different jobs with, without any sort of real enthusiasm or sense of commitment to what they're doing. And see, that's, that's a challenge for us. And I, and I bring that to our attention this morning because we're going to talk about the work of discipleship. But what I want us to do is not just consider the function. I don't want us to just consider the task. I want us to figure out what is it that makes it meaningful. Right? How do we get engaged in the sense that we see the meaning that it brings to our lives? Okay? Now, we're going to do that by looking at the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 28. It'll be a familiar passage for us, and it's one that hopefully many of you have heard before. It's the Great Commission. Now, now let me just try to set the stage again. Right? Here we have the, the final words of the Gospel of Matthew, and we have Jesus at this point in his existence and his point in his relationship that is greatly important. Right, this is no longer just some parable where he's explaining some sort of ethical teaching or ethical command. No, this is the resurrected Christ gathering with his followers, offering them his final instructions. Okay, this is his answer. This is the work that he wants to entrust to them. Now, I've said it many times. So, so many times people will come to me and say, well, I don't know what I should do with my life. I don't know what job I should have. I don't know what God's calling me to do. And I tell people all the time, and you can search throughout the pages of Scripture, and you're never going to get an answer on your vocation. You're not going to find a verse that tells you to be a lawyer or to be a doctor or a teacher or fill in the blank. But make no mistake, the things that God has called us to, he's put in writing. And these final instructions carry tremendous significance for all of us. So let's hear these words again from Matthew 28. I'm going to pick it up in verse 16. <clears throat> then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And I love this passage. Okay, so we're going to use this as a way for us to discover the work of discipleship. But, but in order for us to really get a clear picture, let's first acknowledge the tone that Jesus sets. Right? He begins this statement, he begins these final instructions by referencing his authority. Right? And he doesn't say, hey, some authority has been given to me, part, part of an authority has been given to me. No, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore... All right, so the, the motivation, the premise behind this instruction is the authority that's been entrusted to Christ himself. Now, I want us to stop and give serious consideration to that this morning. The word authority has that message of rule, right, of, of some sort of uh, directive, some sort of control. Right? And so what Jesus is doing here is he's reestablishing himself as the Lord. And that's something that we need to give consideration to this morning. See, because here's the trick that I think the devil loves to pull on us. He wants us to see Jesus as anything other than Lord. 
right? And so Jesus can be savior. He, he can be a good teacher. He can be a good guide. He can be a prophet. Anything but Lord. And so it's not always a temptation for this outright rejection of Jesus. It's just something that is less than Lord. And it distorts the essence of the gospel. I was in this conversation this past week with a buddy of mine, and we were talking about the importance of just being reminded of the gospel and to never lose sight of it. And he was either at a conference or he read a book. I, I can't remember where he heard it. But he had heard somebody talk about how the gospel goes through this progression that we need to be uh, mindful of. That at first, when the gospel enters the community, it's first accepted. It's embraced. People receive it, and they welcome it. But then over time, the gospel becomes assumed. Right? We, we stop talking about it as frequently because we just assume everybody knows what the gospel is. Well, those assumptions then open us up to a third level of the progression, which is that once it's assumed, it becomes distorted and confused, altered and tweaked. And after it's distorted and confused, ultimately the gospel is forgotten. And so we got to be careful of that. And that doesn't just take place in culture. That takes place in our churches. And one of the main distortions of the gospel is to see Jesus as anything less than Lord. And so before we understand the task, let's not run past the fact that he says, all authority has been given to me, that Jesus is Lord. Right? Jesus is divine. He is the fullness of the deity in bodily form, right? He is, he is the exact representation of his being, the radiance of God's glory. He is the word of God. In him, all things were made, and through him, all things hold together. He's the firstborn over all creation, right? He's not just one way to heaven. He's not just one option for salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the lamb of God who comes and takes away the sins of the world, Right? He is coming through grace and glory. He is the, we behold his glory. We see him full of grace and truth. And so as a result, God has exalted him above all others. Right? That he has given them name that is above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That's who we follow. So let me ask you, how do you see him? How do you view Jesus? See, I wonder if more often than not, we, we go through this life and we think about Christianity, right? We think about the religion, we think about different ministries, we think about different activities. Do we ever stop and just think about him and who he is and who he was and what he did? See, that's when we begin to see that he is Lord and that's what gives these final instructions such weight and significance. Right, this is not just uh, Jesus speaking. This is the fulfillment of the prophet Daniel. Right, this is in accordance to God's plan. And so he establishes that authority and he says, therefore, go and make disciples. I love it. <clears throat> Very simple. Right, the, the main thrust of this command is to make disciples. The word go is not the primary command. It's, it's a modifier here in this text. And so if I were going to summarize essentially what we talked about last week and this week, it's this. We are to be disciples who make disciples. That's our work, making disciples. Now, in order for us to really get a sense of that, we're going to talk about the elements of disciple making here in a minute. But let's first understand how this word go modifies this work. Right? How does it bring it to life? Well, because it's more of a, a participle as opposed to an actual like 
imperative verb. It, it could be maybe translated more along the lines of as you go or, or in your going, make disciples. Well, that's a, an appropriate um, interpretation, but oftentimes I feel that we, we struggle with the word go in one of two ways. We either de-emphasize its importance or we overemphasize its importance. Let, let me explain what I mean. Uh, when we de-emphasize the word go, we, we take this interpretation of as you go and as you're going, that, that then it just seems that we rob it of any intentionality that we should carry, any sort of effort that we should put into it. It's almost as if we think, okay, so I'm just going to live my life, and I'm just going to hang out, and maybe one day a neighbor will come along the way, or maybe a colleague or a family member, and they'll show up on my door, and they'll have a big, giant neon sign saying, tell me about Jesus, and at that point, I'll talk about it, you know, as I go. And we rob ourselves of the intentionality that this going actually requires movement. Right? We actually have to put forth some effort here. And, and so the other thing that I think happens when we de-emphasize it is we begin to outsource the responsibility of discipleship to others. And our posture changes. And we begin to move in a manner that says, come and see, rather than walking in a manner that is go and make. Right? And so we find people and we invite them to church, which is a good thing, but that's the extent of our effort, right? Come to church. The, the pastor will show you. The ministers will show you what to do, and we miss the intentionality that we're supposed to carry. So let me, let me share with you a conviction of mine. More than I want to see us invite people to church, I'll lose myself. I guess God didn't like that part. We need to make sure I... But rather than I want to see us invite people to church, I want to see us go out and invite people to Jesus, right? To talk about him. That might mean that you invite him into your home first. We good? That you invite him into your home before you invite him to church, okay? So we need to not just de-emphasize the importance of going. We need to see it as not just a call to, to come and see, but one to go and make, and invite people to Jesus ourselves. Now, the other mistake that we make is that we overemphasize the term, don't we? And we think about this going to make disciples, and it becomes the missionary call, right? The Great Commission is about missions, isn't it? So when I hear the word go, that must mean for those that are going to go overseas, live in some foreign country, in some foreign land, that's, that's a great charge, that's a great task, but that's, that's for those super spiritual people that want to live somewhere else. That's not for me. God would never call me to do that. And so as a result, I don't have to do this part. And we, we disqualify ourselves before we even really think about its implication, right? And so let me, let me ask you, what excuses do we give to God when we think about the Great Commission? No, we're, we're not all gonna be missionaries. We're not all called to live in a foreign country, but make no mistake, all of us are called to make disciples. So what gets in the way of our response there? Uh, I would, God, but I, I'm, I'm too shy. I'm an introvert. I don't feel comfortable in those conversations. Uh, I, I would, God, but I don't know enough about the scriptures. I would, know, I would never know how to say anything to somebody. I would, but I'm too busy. I've got so much going on at work right now with my family. I just don't have time to invest in others. I would, but I, I'm too old. A season of life has passed. What could I possibly do anymore in terms of investing in others? 
I would, but I'm too young. Nobody takes me seriously. I don't have any credibility. What excuses do we give ourselves when we encounter the Great Commission? Notice, Jesus doesn't qualify this task. He doesn't stand in front of his disciples and say, hey, for those of you that are extroverted, right, really people, people, uh, I want you to go out and make disciples. Hey, if you have time, you know, when you're fishing stuff and your tax collecting kind of waves down a little bit, would you just maybe, if you could, please go and make some disciples if you're not too busy? Hey, before you get too old, right, I, I want you to go and, and do some of this and invest in others. He doesn't qualify it. It's for all of us. So we can't overemphasize the going to the point that we just disqualify ourselves before we begin, and we can't de-emphasize it to where we have no intentionality. We need to strike the balance. So we go and we make disciples. Now, a couple elements of the disciple-making that I want to bring to our attention. The first two are this, baptizing and teaching. Now, these are important. You look at the word baptize, and it's, it's pretty clear. It's to dip under, to submerge, to immerse in something. And over time, this becomes a ceremonial act that signifies a washing and a cleansing. So John the Baptist enters into the scene and he begins to preach a message of repentance. And this act of cleansing is a symbol for that choice to repent from your old way of life. So it's this message that Jesus embraces and he begins to pass on to his followers so that the church for thousands of years is going to have this powerful symbolic act that conveys the repentance and the identifying with Jesus. So we bring somebody forward and we ask them, what is your profession of faith? What do you believe? The typical answer, Jesus is Lord. We acknowledge the essence of the gospel. And then we explain that the symbolism is that as we go under the water, we're being united with Christ in his death. And then as we come out of the water, we're raised to walk in newness of life. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. So, So if Jesus just said, Go and baptize. As I said last week, that means he's not sending us to believers. Discipleship begins with the lost. That that we have to begin by thinking of those who need to be baptized, those who need to experience the conversion of the gospel. So here's a prayer for you. Here's a way that I want us to reflect on that as a church. Who in your life needs to be baptized? Maybe another way to say it. Who in your life needs Jesus? And if if you can't think of anybody, then you need to change who you're hanging out with. You need to change with who you spend time with. And because we are called to go to those that don't know him, that's where it begins. That's why it's such a comprehensive task for the Christian faith. And so start there. But pray for God to reveal to you the people that he wants to bring into your past so that you can invest in them and show them the beauty of the gospel. Pray for the people that you already know that need him and ask that God would stir their hearts so that they could truly come to know who he is. We go to make disciples and the first element is baptizing. Now that element is complemented with the charge to teach. Now we think the word teaching and we picture the classroom, right? Teacher stands up, picture Sunday morning. Somebody stands up on stage and talks for 30 to 40 minutes, maybe 45, depending on how he feels, right? And that's how we learn. Teaching is imparting knowledge. It's passing along information. Well, it's so much more than that. The true definition, even in secular Greek, is imparting knowledge to the optimal development of the pupil. So it's not just about exchanging information. It's developing the one who is the student. See, we're really good about imparting information to each other. 
We've got plenty of Bible studies, plenty of opportunities for people to come and learn and know about the information that's in the Scripture, and that's a good thing. We don't want to lose that. But what does Jesus tell us to do? Teach them to what? To obey. Right? And as I said last week, it's not a knowledge-based discipleship. It's an obedience-based discipleship. So what we do is we invite them into this process, and we don't just impart information. We say, no, come and follow me as I follow Christ, and let's learn together what it means to obey him. Let's see what it looks like to actually repent, to, to abide, to rejoice, to love, to forgive, to actually go and make disciples. Let's do this together and be obedient to the things that God has called us to do. So we baptize the lost and we teach them to obey. These are the fundamental elements <clears throat> of discipleship. Now there's one other component that I wanna to bring to our attention that I think is very important to the scripture. It's one that gets me somewhat excited. It, it's not just about what we're doing in the work of discipleship, but where we're going. Go and make disciples of who? All nations. Man, I love that. If you've ever heard anybody teach on this passage before, I hope that whoever taught, uh, who taught that to you mentioned the fact that this word nations here is ethne. Right? It's where we get our word ethnicity or ethnic. And so we don't need to picture these uh, man-made geographical borders that we define as nations. This is all peoples, all tongues, all tribes, all cultures. What we see here is that the work of God that he entrusts to us is a work that reveals that his heart is for all nations. He loves them all. And that's been part of his plan from the very beginning when he calls Abraham in Genesis 12 and he says, I'm gonna make you into a great nation and you will be a blessing <clears throat> to all nations. And you see that theme time and time again work its way out through scripture, repeatedly in the Psalms, in the prophets, in the New Testament. I wanna read you one of my favorites comes from Psalm 67. You can just listen to it. One of my favorite passages that reveals the heart of God and his love for the nations. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. So may God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. I love that. Let the peoples, let all the nations sing for joy and praise God. Our God loves all people and all nations. And that's his plan from the very beginning. Where we're headed, this journey that we're on that's gonna lead us home is gonna ultimately give us this picture of every tongue, tribe, and nation falling before the throne and worshiping the lamb that was slain. That is the work. We are to go to the nations. So let me explain to you some of the hope that I have for us as a congregation. I hope that, that our love for the nations represents God's love for the nations. That we become a congregation that, that grows in this effort that's already here, the seed that's been planted within each of us here in this church, that we would find people rising up from our congregation saying, I'll go. I will leave my family. I will leave my job. I will leave the comforts, and I'm going to go to the corners of the earth so that people can know the saving work of Jesus Christ. I want to see missionaries raised up in this congregation and going wherever God would lead them. But here's the good news and the bad news. 
The good news is that if you're sitting there going, ah, it's not me, I can't do that, I, I, I hate planes, I hate weird food, I'm not going to do it, that's okay. Because you know what? The nations are here. And in a sad way, it's a, almost as if God said, okay, you won't go to them, I'll bring them to you. So Lord, help us if we don't reach them in our midst. So you want to go to the nations, can I tell you that without getting on a plane, I can take you to so many countries. We can go to Bhutan, Burma, Congo, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, India, China, Iran, Afghanistan, Iraq. There's a lot of places we can go and never leave our city. They're here. And we are absolutely going to be a church that goes to them and shows them that God loves them like he loves all people. Now, what that means is, is that we need to not strive to be such a homogenous church. It's one of the, the challenges, I think, that the American church faces, is that Sunday morning is often the most segregated hour in which people gather in our country. And so I want our, our makeup and our complexion, even in this congregation, to reveal God's love for the nations. We're gonna go and make disciples Right, we're going to baptize them. We're going to engage the lost. We're going to teach them what it means to obey Christ. And we're going to do it for all people so that every tongue, tribe, and nation can come to know him. This is the prayer that I've invited you into. Remember, this is the prayer that we're trying to ask God to, to stir within us. That we would come together and pray for the movement of God, for the power of God to be unleashed in our lives, in our church, in this community, and around this world so that every tongue, tribe, and nation would come to know and proclaim the saving work of Jesus Christ. That's our prayer. That's our work. Now, how do we make it meaningful? I told you this morning I wasn't really just trying to describe to you the task. I wanted to give it meaning. I wanted to give it significance. Well, to me, we discover this by looking at the context in which this instruction is offered. Isn't it amazing? Jesus invites them to Galilee, and they stand on the mountain, and they see him, and what does it say? Some worshiped, and some doubted. That's an interesting description to me. The word doubt here, I don't think means the, the pure doubt of they don't believe in his existence or, or who he is. It, it, another way to translate it in that context would be there was hesitation. They were unsure of how to respond. But others, they worshiped. Well, that to me is, is the option for us when we encounter the work of the gospel, the work of discipleship. We either doubt and we hesitate or we worship. That's where we find meaning. I'll never forget, I was in college and I was studying Hebrew. I studied for a couple of years and, and my professor walked in one day and he was working through some basic vocabulary and he was teaching us for the word work, avod. And he was explaining the root and how that that word is used in different settings and contexts. That, that that word is also used for servant, for slavery, and as well as worship. Man, that hit me. To, to have this moment of this integration where our work of discipleship is actually an act of worship. And that worship is so much more than singing. It, it's a lifestyle of work. Right, that the two come together. And this is where we get the meaning and the significance. Now, I, I want to use a quote here, and I want to set it up appropriately, because when we look at the Great Commission and we think about this discipleship, yes, 
missions would maybe be another way to think about it. To actively go and make disciples is this word for missions. Well, when I was a freshman in college, I read John Piper's Let the Nations Be Glad. And he captured to me the essence and the fuel that gives the work of discipleship such meaning. He uses the word missions, but I think it carries the same message. Here's what he says. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. This is what we're doing. He's calling us to this work because people need to know what it means and what it looks like to worship an almighty God. And when we do that, and when we respond to that work, we worship in him. We delight in that task, right? It's not some compulsory mandate that we just blindly have to follow. It's a way in which we worship God. Piper continues. He says, the great sin of the world is not that the human race has failed to work for God so as to increase his glory, but that we have failed to delight in God so as to reflect his glory. For God's glory is most reflected in us when we are most delighted in him. We carry the fuel for this task, this work of discipleship, by seeing it as an act of worship. He says, when the glory of God himself saturates our preaching and teaching and conversation and writings, when he predominates above our talk of methods and strategies and psychological buzzwords and cultural trends, then the people might begin to feel that the central reality of their lives is the spread of his glory, and it is more important than all their possessions and all their plans. So the main message of our talk today, this essence of discipleship is to see that more than any possession you could have, any plan that you could conjure up, greater than all those things is that God wants to use you for the spread of his glory. And that is a beautiful act of worship. That's the work. That's where we find meaning. Now, I kind of was a little bit misleading earlier when I said Abuelos is my first job. It, It was my first job in the sense that I got hired by an employer. But really the first time I learned what it meant to work was mowing the yard. I love mowing the yard, even to this day. It's a great escape for me. And one of the reasons though I love it is because it it reminds me of my grandfather. Uh, He was somewhat of a hero and a role model for me. And, And so he was the one that taught me what it meant to mow a yard, showed me how to do it. And in more than him teaching me, he actually let me mow at his house. And as a young kid, I can't tell you how that impacted me, right? That he would entrust that to me. And so I would go out there, man, and I, I tried my best. I mean, I really did. I was like, okay, I want to do this perfect because he's, he's letting me do this. And I would give it my effort. And I'm telling you, the first time it was terrible. Like I looked back and I had all these patches that I missed, all these little grass mohawks standing up. I mean, it was, it was bad. But I loved every minute of it. I delighted in it not because of the task that he asked me to do, but because of who it was that asked me to do it. That's the reality. That's the picture we need to cling to. Our identity is to be disciples who make disciples. But the beauty of it, the fuel for it, is to see the glory of the one who asks us to do it. For when we do that, it's given meaning we must see that our work is actually an act of worship. Let's pray. Father, we love you.
And we ask that today, Father, we could truly see you for who you are. We see you as Lord, to see the authority that you've entrusted to Christ and let us respond obediently that we could be disciples who make disciples and that our commitment to such a thing would bring you glory, that we would do so in a spirit that delights in doing it. Father, that we would see the nations baptized and taught what it means to follow you, that you would use us to accomplish such a task and such a goal. So, Father, stir in our hearts. Help us to see that greater than any of our plans, any of our possessions, we could follow you and make you known. Father, let that be the way in which we leave here today with a sense of purpose and renewal and a sense of worship for the things that you've called us to do. We love you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me offer a word of invitation. As is often the case, we we obviously want to make this an opportunity that if you have never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you have heard elements of the gospel today, to see him as Lord, to see him as Savior, that this is a moment where you can trust in him. And if that's a decision you need to make, well, then let's do it and let's celebrate it together. Other decisions need to be made often. You, maybe this is a place where you want to call your church home. We want to celebrate in that with you as well, so you can come forward and acknowledge that. Or maybe you just need to pray. Whatever it is, let's respond faithfully to this time of invitation. Would you stand together and let's see.
please be seated. We are a busy people with goals and visions and hopes for the future. But once a year, something special happens right here within these walls. Children from our community come together to laugh and play and learn about Jesus. This summer, set aside time to build, teach, and love on the children of our church. You know, Kid Power Camp is coming up in June, and it gives us the opportunity, yes, to reach children inside our church, to reach children around this neighborhood, but even more, we're able to go into Westcliff Elementary to reach children around that neighborhood. And this year, we're hoping that we're going to have an opportunity to go into a refugee site and to be able to make a difference there. God wants us to be disciples. He has brought the nations here. Let us reach out to them. Let us do the work right? And not be slothful. Let us do the work to reach the nations for Christ. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have a event to sign up for Kid Power Camp right after worship. It's going to be on February 26th, and we would love you to sign up. We need you. We need your prayers. We need your work. We need your smile. We need your hands to extend that, that we would be able to tell everyone about the loving, saving power of Jesus Christ. Let's stand, let's hold hands, and I believe our worship team is going to sing us out.